When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 325, and today we are talking about books being released on August 24th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia, hello. Hey, Lib. How's it going? Pretty good. It's almost the end of August. There's still lots of traffic in Maine. We had like seven or eight really horrible weather warnings today and nothing happened. It was like, a tornado is coming! And then, you know, nothing. And then it was like, a hurricane might appear! And then nothing. And then like, thunderstorms, no. Tornado, no. Like, it was very intense. (laughs) And all it did was like, be sunny all day. (laughs) You know? But we do occasionally get, like, these really weird, tiny, tiny, tiny little twisters. And so, of course, they're going to tell us if there's a possibility. It's better than if they don't, you know. But none of it happened. It was just like, okay. Yeah, we have, like, orange-ish skies today because it's fire season in California. Mm, Yeah. So we're also just, like, our apartment's kind of stuffy right now. Like, normally we have a bunch of fans on and stuff, but, like, we haven't been able to open the windows all day. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, like, we work from home, and so we've just been having, like, fans going and filters going, but it's still, like, I want air. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, the planet is weird. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, people. But on the plus side, I want to tell listeners that I had talked about Yoke, the book by Jessamine Stanley back in maybe like May or something. And I was like, I don't know, might mess around and try yoga. So my wife and I have tried doing yoga with her. She has an app. So we've been doing that and like my wife and I mostly just sit all day at our computers for our jobs. And so now our bodies are like, what are you doing? What is this movement you're doing? And why are you also sitting so still Um, and like mindfully? So it is not as horrible as the first time I tried yoga, which was like at a place with people. But it's one of those like, a book convinced me to do something. Huh. I wonder if a book has ever convinced me to do something. I don't know. Probably. Read more books, for sure. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep reading books by this other. I don't know. I am very susceptible to books having me do things. Like, uh, Burnout by the Nagoskis. I got an exercise bike. And, like, after I read The Hunger Games, I started doing archery. Like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I found that I am very susceptible to commercials. We have cable now. We've had cable for like five weeks. And I think I've bought three things that I saw in a commercial. Plus, I've downloaded a bunch of songs that I heard in commercials. 
I was like, huh, this is the thing that didn't <laughs> used to happen. Like, I needed to buy more stuff, you know, but I'm, like, watching a commercial. I'm like, oh, yes, I need that. And they have been good decisions. But, yeah, I guess commercials really... Like, when I was a kid, we didn't have any money, so I couldn't buy anything. Plus, I wasn't in charge. I was small. You know, I'd be like, buy me a Barbie <laughs> dream house. No. But, you know, now I'm like, oh, yes, I will get that and that and that and that. So, commercials, they work on me. I am absolutely susceptible to the Instagram ads. They really have oh. my number. And now, especially because it's, like, getting to be spooky season, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. no, everyone has all of their Halloween decorations out. I need to stay off the internet. Yeah. I also buy a lot of things from Instagram ads. But there's so many that are like, here's this clothing company with this really cool like dress or sweater or something but it's like super cheap and so then I always like look up the reviews on on Google and it's like this company will steal your puppies and also (laughs) call you bad names and send hate mail to your mother don't shop with them they're always like horrible it's like totally like they have like a half star rating and they're like I never got my stuff and so I'm like I really want that but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that like I'm not gonna shop from that that clothing company. Or I'm like, this looks familiar. And then this creator's like, this company stole my design. Yeah. It's like, mm. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely take some research. There's these aviator goggles that come with cat ears. And they show me that ad oh all God. the time, probably because I spend so much time staring at it. And the reviews for the company are so bad. They're like, so bad. It's like, if you get this, your cats will move out because they hate you so much. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, I can't buy that, but I want them. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Well, all right. We're going to talk about books now. I managed to get us off track because that is what I do. But, well, actually, before we even talk about books, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like, we all know. So, just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I am very excited to talk about today's first pick, which is actually I'm going to talk about uh, the book that came out before it, because my first pick today is Feral Creatures by Kira Jane Buxton, which is the sequel to Hollow Kingdom, which came out, I think, two years ago now. And as you know, we don't really like to recommend sequels unless we pretty much talk about the first book because we don't want to spoil anything in the second book. Like, tell you, like, and now that the, you know, giant cloud has become sentient and achieved, you know, a kingdom, like, we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, So I want to tell you about Hollow Kingdom for the few people out there who haven't heard about it or read it because it is amazing. It was that bright fluorescent green book with the crow on it that came out a couple years ago. This book shook my brain like a snow globe. It was just, like, so much funny and sad and gross and amazing and just all swirling around at once. And the main character of this book is ST, which stands for something that I can't say on the podcast. And he is a crow, and he's very funny. He likes to curse, and he likes to eat Cheetos. Kind of like me. And he has a human friend named Big Jim. He lives with Big Jim. And at the very beginning of the book, he notices that Big Jim is having some issues. He's kind of falling apart. Like, literally. Like, Big Jim bends over to get something in the yard and his eyes fall out. Because something is very wrong. Uh, And we know, as readers, that this is like the apocalypse. There's some kind of virus, zombie-ish sort of virus that's going on. But, oh, that reminds me, today I was sitting in my truck on the top floor of the parking garage at an establishment waiting for somebody to get out of an appointment, and I was the only person up there, and I should have been, like, it's beautiful, and it's quiet, and no one is around, but all I kept thinking was, like, this is when the zombies come. Like, they're going to come up behind the truck. I'm not even going to know they're there. I kept thinking about zombies attacking the truck today. Anyway, so, like, we know that, like, something zombie-ish is happening to humans. Like, they are coming apart. And Dennis is Big Jim's dog. ST hates Dennis. Like, he doesn't think Dennis is of any use, and he's a lazy, smelly dog. But he has to, you know, go to Dennis and be like, we have some kind of a problem here, obviously. And ST decides that they should go out and find something to help Big Jim feel better. Like, feel like himself again, because he doesn't realize the extent of what is going on. But when they go out into the world, they realize that this is happening to humans everywhere. And so ST decides... He's going to save mankind because ST likes humans. You know, they give him Cheetos first and foremost, which is like the most important thing, you know, and he would be sad without them and he would be sad without Big Jim. So he and a group of animals go on a mission to save humankind. This book is so, so funny. Like, I cannot tell you how funny this book is. I laughed out loud so many times. I mean, everyone I know who has read this book loves it. Like, what must that be like to, like, here's your debut novel and... People are so in love with that they're sending you fan art. It's going to be an animated series. And it's, someone called it uh, The Secret Life of Pets Meets The Walking Dead. And I find that to be very accurate. Um, It's just so fantastic. And now Feral Creatures, the new book coming out today, is further adventures in this this post-apocalyptic world. 
It's the continuing adventures of ST and his friends on their mission. And not only is ST a great bird character, but Kira Jane Buxton, if you follow her on social media, she has a zillion birds in her backyard, and they love her. She has crows and hummingbirds and all kinds of other birds, and she can identify each of them, and they have names and they eat from her hand. She's like the bird whisperer. I'm actually interviewing her for the launch, which would be today when this airs, uh, and I want her to teach me her secrets because my birds in my yard will not approach me like this. I want to know how you make birds be your friends because it's amazing. I do want to give a content warning for this book because it is full of animal characters and it's an apocalypse. There is, you know, the obliteration of humankind and animal death and, you know, some general apocalypsy stuff, but they're so fantastic. So if you have not read Hollow Kingdom, I highly recommend getting that one and reading it and then picking up Feral Creatures by Kira Jane Buxton. I also want to learn her bird secrets. <laughs> yeah, she's like, here's my friend, George. And George is like, so excited to see her and like hopping around. And I'm so jealous. So, so jealous. <laughs> For my first pick, I have Bad Witch Burning by Jessica Lewis. Lots of content warnings for violence, gun violence, physical abuse, drug abuse, emotional abuse, dog attacks, and a person being very violent towards a dog. Cottrell is a teen girl who can commune with the dead. Specifically, she can write a letter in her notebook to summon a deceased person of her choosing, and then she, like, writes the letter, and then it bursts into flames, and then the dead person kind of just, like, shows up to talk and this comes in pretty handy because she can make a few bucks off of this she has some customers who like to speak to their deceased relatives and they pay her maybe like 30 bucks a letter Cottrell also works at a fast food restaurant and is the sole breadwinner in her entire home her home consists of her dog, a mastiff named Conrad, her mother, who can't seem to hold a job, and her mom's most recent deadbeat, abusive, meth-doing boyfriend, Gerald. Gerald also works at a fast food restaurant, but takes his liberties with eating any groceries that Cottrell brings home. He can devour a week's worth of groceries in a couple days. Cottrell's mom and Gerald use Cottrell as, like, a money factory. They just take and take and take, and Gerald beats Cottrell, and her mother just turns the other way and lets him. Cottrell's best friend, Will, has been adopted into a loving home who says they would like to foster Cottrell, but Cottrell feels obligated to take care of her mom because she's all she's got. Will used to live with her grandmother, but needed to go into foster care when she died. Cottrell will write letters for Will so that she could speak to her grandmother, but the most recent time Cottrell writes a letter, the grandmother shows up and warned her to stop writing letters, or else really bad things will happen. Cottrell goes back to her abusive home, and there's a fight, and Conrad, her dog, gets killed. In her grief, Cottrell writes a letter and brings him back to life, which was totally not expected at all. Suddenly, her letters allow her to resurrect the dead. So suddenly, Cottrell can make a lot more money with her powers. Like, a lot. The author does such a phenomenal job capturing what abuse can be like in a family that is poor. 
specifically around the manipulation that can happen between parents and teen children, especially if the child has money or something that the parent wants. The author also does a really good job of capturing the spiral that can happen when you're poor and you find a way to make money and then suddenly you just need to keep making more and more money and no amount of money ever seems to be enough. Is this a thinly veiled allegory for selling drugs? Maybe, but it was enthralling and heartbreaking and a read that I got through really fast. It's Bad Witch Burning by Jessica Lewis. All right. That one is on my list of books to read. It's good. So my next pick is something completely different. It is The Guide by Peter Heller. I am breaking rules all over the place that I have set for myself here on the show because this is a sequel of sorts to The River, which came out a couple of years ago. However, you can read this as a standalone. You don't have to have read The River, but it does make mention to something that happens in The River that will spoil it for you. So if you're worried about spoilers, read The River first because it's equally as excellent and then read this one. And I just love Peter Heller. And speaking of, you know, wonderful apocalyptic novels like, you know, Hollow Kingdom, he wrote The Dog Stars, which is so, 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 so good. And The Painter and Celine and umpteen nonfiction nature books. He's just an incredible writer. And this book stars Jack, who was a character from The River. He's 25 now, and he has been hired to be a guide at Kingfisher Lodge. It's this super fancy lodge. Uh, on a mile of beautiful land with a river in Colorado. It's called Billionaire's Mile because celebrities and ridiculously wealthy people are basically the only people who can afford to go to this lodge. And the river is stocked with fish, and the people get to eat fancy food at night and amazing breakfast, and there's massages, and it's just like a dream place to stay. And the lodge is fenced in by a gate, They're told it's because if not, people will wander in and start fishing in their river and the owner doesn't want that. And also, uh, this is taking place after the pandemic and the virus has thought to have gone away, but now there are small outbreaks around the country. So they feel like if they lock people in, you know, they feel safer because no one can come in. And so people sign up for these 10 day stays where they're, they're locked in, like no one can go in or out from the lodge during this time. And Jack... The main character is an expert fly fisher and hunter. He lives on a ranch with his dad, and he just needed some time to get away after the events of the river and also some other loss that he experienced when he was younger. It's all kind of hitting him hard, and he just wants to clear his head, and he thought maybe some time away from the ranch would do him good. So he took this job, and his first day, he's taken around, and he's told, like, there are boundaries, here's, like, the mile markers... And the neighbors are kind of bananas, and they'll take shots at you if you go past these markers. Uh, There's big signs that say, like, you will get shot, and so don't go past those. You know, or there's, like, neighbors on the other side who will unleash their dogs on you uh, if you pass here, because everybody pays a lot of money to live here, and they want their privacy, so don't go past these markers. Which Jack is like, it's nature, but okay. And his first day at the ranch... He's out fishing, he's getting his bearings before he has his first client, and he sees something unusual that he's never seen before while he's been out fishing. And then that night, he hears a scream in the night, which he writes it off as an owl, but he then thinks about it and is like, owls usually make that noise more than once. You know, it kind of sounded like a person. Hmm. 
So his first day with a client, he's assigned Allison K. There are no last names here because everybody's famous or very, very wealthy. And he completely recognizes her as this very famous singer. But, you know, he's not supposed to make a big deal about it because, you know, she's there not to be bothered. And she's actually a really great fisher. And he takes her out and they have a great time together. There's sort of like an instant friendship between them. And she's talking to him and she also thinks like the place is kind of weird. One thing that they've noticed is that the barbed wire at the top of the fence all around the lodge is tipped in as opposed to tip out. So it's more like it's trying to keep people in as opposed to keep people out. And they think it's very strange. And as the days go on, they are going to make a horrific discovery in the midst of all of this beauty. Peter Heller is an incredible storyteller. He's just so good at it. He writes beautifully. He writes amazing amazing pieces about nature, mostly because that's what he wrote all before he started fiction and he spent so much time in nature. It's just amazing. And this book also makes good use of the current conditions of the world. Uh, Jack and Allison are great characters. I like how no-nonsense they are. I liked how they instantly bonded and became buddies and how they don't stand for anything bad to happen under their noses. It's a really taut, intense story and it's, it's a quick read. It's less than 300 pages. For the content warnings for this one, I can tell you that there is animal death because it's all hunting and fishing. Uh, there's violence and there's human death. But there are some things that I cannot tell you because they absolutely will spoil the book. Like, that would be what the thing is. So I can't tell you. So just tread lightly if you're going to pick this up, if you're worried about, about upsetting things. Because there are some seriously upsetting things. So this is the guide by Peter Heller. For my next pick, I have Radical Friendship, Seven Ways to Love Yourself and Find Your People in an Unjust World by Kate Johnson. As I've mentioned before on this show or maybe backlist, sometimes I have some real chaotic energy when I pick out what to read next. And so... I picked out this book and I saw the title and I was expecting a book that helps me be a better friend. What I got was, yes, this book will help me be a better friend, but also it's a conversation about white supremacy in Western Buddhism. So surprise! The author is not limiting the idea or relationship of friendship only to your inner circle, like the immediate people that you would consider friends but also how friendship as a way of relating to other people, whether they be people you know or don't know, or maybe even people you don't like, can help mitigate and maybe heal some of the ongoing trauma that is life in a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, as well as act as a catalyst toward collective liberation. If you are familiar with Buddhism, it can help with relating to this book, but if you are not, there is definitely still some value for you as well. Johnson writes that oppression is fundamentally fragmenting. It is the essence of oppression to separate us and tear us apart, and that friendship is the way to heal this. The bulk of this book is focused on the Mita Sutta, a passage from a longer body of the Buddha's teachings called the Anguttara Nikaya. The Mita Sutta offers seven qualities of friendship. One, they give what is hard to give. Two, they do what is hard to do. Three, they endure what is hard to endure. 
Four, they reveal their secrets to you. Five, they keep your secrets. Six, when misfortune strikes, they do not abandon you. And seven, when you're down and out, they do not look down on you. After some real talk about first making friends with ourselves, Johnson then goes through each of these seven qualities, what they mean, how they show up in the world, how they show up in us and in friendships, and the ways we relate to other people, family included. The latter part of each chapter is how we incorporate these qualities into a meditation practice, as well as cultivate these qualities in ourselves and our relationships. As I mentioned earlier, there is also a lot of discussion on how white supremacy shows up in Western Buddhist practice, how a lot of the faces you see of authors writing on Buddhism and speaking at conferences and retreats are white, and how because of this, some cultural touch points are often left out, such as the importance of connecting to our ancestors. Johnson also talks about many ways white supremacy shows up in Western Buddhist practice that I hadn't even considered like the ideas of perfection or senses of urgency, two things I often struggle with when meditating, the, with this idea that there's a right way or a perfect way to meditate or that I'm doing it wrong, or that I can bully myself into meditating correctly. I really enjoyed this book. It had a lot of unexpected things in it, and it was really lovely, and I learned a lot and I gained a lot of new perspective. It's Radical Friendship, Seven Ways to Love Yourself and Find Your People in an Unjust World by Kate Johnson. All right. My third pick, I chose Seeing Ghosts, a memoir by Kat Chow. It is a beautiful memoir about family and love and death. Kat Chow was born uh, to her parents. Uh, she was the child after her brother who had died hours after birth. So she was their first child after her brother died. And so death was kind of a thing that she knew about and was told about from a very young age and she worried about from a very young age. Uh, her mother also knew about death from a young age. She lost her own mother when she was four. She found a body in the bushes walking to school when she was nine. And she would tell Kat these stories and Kat worried all the time that, that her parents were going to die. Like she became fixated on it. And she, her mother would talk about it with her and joke about it with her. And it was, it was very unusual for, for a mother and child to talk about this stuff. And then when Kat was a young teenager, her mother died unexpectedly from cancer. Kat had older sisters, and she and her sisters and her father were grief-stricken because this was very sudden because her mother had always passed all the symptoms off of her illness as something else like these were other things like she had a reason that she was experiencing all these things it was something else so it was very very surprising for them and it was very hard and Kat has written this incredible book that is a look not just at her mother but her family for generations she did a lot of research and she asked a lot of questions and you know, she, now she's going to answer some of these questions like what does it mean to get these stories down on a page is it a different way of remembering how are we honoring people by telling these stories she writes this book as if she's speaking to her mother as if her mother is reading this book and you know she's trying to honor her mother and and the spirits and she talks about what it's like to investigate your own family and it's a look at the things that we talk, I've, I've talked about this before, like I mentioned this, you know, when we talk about a lot of times about fiction, but, you know, what it's like when, you know, there's one thing that you think you know as a child, but as an adult, 
it's different or you realize like you were remembering it wrong or looking at it wrong. I had that experience today. I was talking to my brother and he was telling the story about our grandparents. And I was like, actually, this is what happened. You know, and he had no idea. He didn't remember it that way because he was, uh, you know, two years younger than I was when it happened and he was very small. And it just made me think of this book because, you know, you don't know what your memory will do to you or, you know, what you know and don't know, you know, as an adult. And this has just been an amazing, amazing year for memoirs. You know, there's The Ugly Cry, Somebody's Daughter, Crying in H Mart, White Magic, and this one, Seeing Ghosts, a memoir by Kat Chow, deserves to be put on the shelf next to all of those as another excellent 2021 memoir. And, oh, before I tell you, uh, before we hear from our next sponsor, I do want to give content warnings for mentions of illness, death of a loved one, racism, and death of a child. Uh, And again, that was Seeing Ghosts, a memoir by Kat Chow. And now we're going to hear from our next sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, Patricia, what do you have for us? For my third pick today, I have Both Sides Now by Peyton Thomas. Finch Kelly is a trans teen in Olympia, Washington, and he is obsessed with getting into Georgetown University so that he could be in Washington, D.C. and become the first trans congressman. Finch's parents are trying to convince him to stay in Washington State because there is no way they can afford to send him to Georgetown. Finch's dad doesn't work, and his mom makes very little money as a journalist for a local paper that always seems on the brink of going under. Finch is shoving the money part out of his mind and focusing on getting into Georgetown in the first place. He and his friend Jonah are the stars of their high school debate team, and Finch sees this as his ticket into the school. He figures if they win the state championship and then the nationals, there's no way Georgetown can turn him down. Finch is also going through a bit of a crisis interpersonally. Note, Finch isn't really out as trans to most people. His family knows, his best friend slash ex-girlfriend knows, and Jonah, his debate partner, knows. Also, his debate coach knows. Jonah is gay and in the perfect relationship with Bailey. Bailey is the star of the school's theater department and desperately wants to go to Juilliard. In fact, Bailey got to pick this year's musical that he's starring in, Perfectly Modern Millie, which he's gender flipped to be Perfectly Modern Billy. 
As I mentioned, Finch is in a bit of a crisis because he's starting to have really squishy feelings around Jonah, but at the same time, he is very adamant about not being gay himself. So these feelings must be anxiety, and he shoves them down repeatedly. Anyway, he has the National Debate Championship to worry about. So the topic for the National Debate comes in, and it's this. This house would allow transgender students in public schools to use the bathroom facilities of their choice. Now, just in case you don't know how high school debate works, in competition, you have to take turns arguing each side, for and against. So in order to have his best shot at getting into his dream school and dream life, Finch is going to have to argue against his own humanity. This book was really anxiety-inducing and super stressful, but also it was cute and sweet and funny and lovely, and I liked it a lot. The characters were all very alive and shown through, and I read through this so fast. It's Both Sides Now by Peyton Thomas. Okay, and for my last pick today, I chose Tunnel 29, the true story of an extraordinary escape beneath the Berlin Wall by Helena Merriman. I have a hard time saying Berlin now because my, or Berlin, see I did it just then, because my husband, his family is from Berlin, New Hampshire, so it, or Berlin, New Hampshire, so they say it differently, so I can never remember which one I'm saying. Uh, So this one is about a guy who tunneled under the Berlin Wall. Uh, Merriman is a journalist, and she's also the producer of the podcast by the same name, which I had not heard of or listened to, obviously, if I had not heard of it. And she was just fascinated by the story because it's amazing. The Berlin Wall came down in 1989, which happened to be when I was in eighth grade and taking German lessons. So that was like a big week during German lessons. That whole year was wild because I had been taking them for many years and my teacher was banana pants and he got fired like halfway through the year. But that's another story for another time. But this is, first of all, it's just wild to me. You know, like I know time passes. I've seen what it's done to me, but I still have a hard time believing like, wow, time has passed. It's wild to me that there are so many people in the world now who weren't around when the Berlin Wall existed. And if you don't know about the Berlin Wall or you've forgotten, you know, it went up in 1961, pretty much overnight. Basically, the outline of it, the shape of it was formed overnight. Like, people woke up and suddenly East and West Germany had been separated by this wall. It separated families, and many people lost their lives trying to get over it or get under it through the next several decades. And this is the story about how... In the summer of 1962, a young student named Joachim Rudolf dug a tunnel under the Berlin Wall to help East German families escape. And Merriman met with him. She interviewed other people involved with this who were around when it happened. Uh, She read declassified Stasi files. Stasi were the East German security service, and they would, like, listen to what you were saying. They would bug your phones. They would read your mail. And there was nothing you could do about it. They would force your friends, your family, your neighbors to turn against you, which is what happens here. Uh, Someone betrays him. And as Rudolf digs toward freedom, he didn't know that his efforts had been reported. And there's all kinds of other wild stuff going on. There was an American news crew there who was filming the end of the tunnel being dug. He's considered a hero. And it's just, he's in his 80s now. 
And the story is so fascinating. And some of the things that happened after this this was over uh, were were just incredible. I really enjoyed going back and reading about this, you know, incredible piece of history. It also reminds me of my favorite movie, uh, the Stasi part does, because if you've not seen it, there is a movie called The Lives of Others, which came out probably 12 or 13 years ago. It did win the Best Foreign Film Award, and it's my favorite movie. It's about the Stasis in the 1980s and their interaction with a writer and an actress, and it's so absolutely gorgeous. Oh my goodness, it's going to break your heart, but you should try to watch it if you can. And also read this book, because it was so amazing. It is Tunnel 29, The True Story of an Extraordinary Escape Beneath the Berlin Wall by Helena Merriman. For my last pick, I have Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness by Deshaun L. Harrison. This book actually came out on August 10th, but I feel like I have been waiting forever for this book to be out, and I definitely wanted to share it here on this show. Some obvious content warnings for discussions of anti-fatness and anti-blackness. Also warnings for discussions of transphobia, police violence, and sexual assault, including molestation. Much of the existing literature on anti-fatness and anti-blackness, whether it be books, articles, etc., is primarily focused on fat black women and fat black femmes. This book is a very important and fresh addition to literature on the intersections of anti-fatness and anti-blackness as it focuses on fat black mask bodies, mask as in cisgender man bodies and non-binary trans mask bodies and trans man bodies. Harrison themselves is a fat black non-binary trans person. This book is not super long, but Harrison covers a lot of ground and interrogates certain topics that I've read about but maybe haven't encountered as discussed in this way, such as what it looks like to talk about policing, police violence, and prisons with regard to how the fat black mask body experiences them. Or how the idea of health is a social construct made specifically in a way that makes it inaccessible to fat black people. I sincerely appreciate their interrogation of body positivity and self-love as I have actually done in some of my own writing as well. Harrison cites many other works that I've talked about on all the backlists, such as The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love by Sonia Renee Taylor, and Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. Harrison's citations are not mere regurgitations, but sometimes deepenings of discussion or a clear rebuttal, and I think that is one of the things I like about this book, is that it truly feels like a discussion and an exploration. In another chapter I really enjoy, Harrison writes about the politics of desirability. Who gets to be pretty? Who is determined to be ugly? And what power is there in these labels? In one of the later chapters, Harrison talks with seven fat black trans people and gives them all space to tell their stories, and it's really, really powerful. Again, this is such an important book, and I highly recommend it. It's Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness by Deshaun L. Harrison. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Right now, I am reading For the Love of April French by Penny Ames. And it is, it is erotic romance, and it is, it's so sweet so far. I love it. Awesome. 
Is it out already? Um, I think it's out next week. Oh, look at that. So, nah, the, not from when we're recording. It's out the 31st. Is that next Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. When we also will be recording together because there are five Tuesdays. Yeah, you'll probably hear me talk about this book. I am reading Murder Book, a graphic memoir of a true crime obsession by Hilary Fitzgerald Campbell, which is her memoir about everything that I just said in the title, about <laughs> how she is obsessed with true crime, and also it's called A Love Letter to Her Fellow True Crime Fanatics. And so far, it's great. Of course, I'm like 10 pages into it, but I'm really enjoying that. <laughs> and... That is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review because it helps other book lovers to find us. And we love book lovers. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.